2, A Satanist Reads the Bible. Exploring the Bible, Christianity, and other religions and their sacred texts through the lens of Satanism in order to reinvent religion for myself. A Satanist Reads the Bible has been, for about the last nine months, a blog where I've written weekly about various topics of religion from a satanic and philosophical perspective. That's going to keep going. If you've enjoyed reading my work and would like to continue enjoying it in a written format, that's not going away. What I'm doing here is expanding the blog and making my content accessible to people who prefer a podcast format for their information consumption needs. So a lot of what I'm going to be doing here is just reading my work, but it'd be pretty lazy on my part if I limited myself to that. So I'm also going to be talking extemporaneously on the topic of the week, and my objective is to grow the podcasting side of A Satanist Reads the Bible to include things like guest spots and interviews. That's a little bit further down the road. But this is the first episode, so before I get into what I'm going to be talking about this week, let me talk a little bit about what it is that I do in general. I am a Satanist. That is my religion. What that means is a somewhat complex matter and something I'll be exploring in these podcasts and continuing to explore in my blog. I'm not a devil worshiper. I'm not opposed to more traditional religion or to religion in general. Quite the opposite, actually. I am very much in favor of religion, both in general and with regards to specific religions, Christianity, Islam, Wicca, whatever. I'm interested in all of it, and I appreciate and enjoy all of it and think that it should continue to play a role in people's lives. That said, I think there are some big problems with how religion functions in the modern world, and I aim to explore and critique that from my perspective as a Satanist and as a scholar and philosopher of religion. My aim as a Satanist is to be a bit like Socrates in this matter. Socrates sometimes called himself a gadfly. Uh, I want to be the annoying bug that pokes at religious ideas to see what's really behind them. Not with any agenda, just, just as a matter of inquiry, just as a matter of honest, personal inquiry into what religion really is. I've been doing that for a while, and I've found some great things. Uh, as I will be discussing today, I have also found some problems. Uh, but one thing at a time, I guess. For those familiar with modern Satanism, I'm not affiliated with the Church of Satan or with the Satanic Temple. I appreciate both. Both have had an influence on me and on the development of my religious ideas, but ultimately I'm going in another direction. So... With that out of the way, let me dive into the latest essay on my blog on religious propaganda. I really had a great time writing this because it reminded me that I really love analyzing propaganda. It's something I learned to do in the army, and I love it because I feel like it gives me a really clear window into other people's minds. And this sort of religiosity, this sort of really very toxic religiosity is really fascinating to me. Where does it come from? What are its motivations and intentions? What is its audience? So I'm just going to jump into it here, and afterwards I'll try to speak on the subject of religious propaganda more extemporaneously. And this is all a big experiment for me, so we'll see how it goes. But I'm excited to be here sharing my work with you, and I hope it's informative and meaningful for you. Okay, here we go. 
on religious propaganda. During my time in Iraq with the U.S. Army during the Second Gulf War, I worked, among various other jobs, as a propaganda analyst. Just as the Allied forces did, the various local militias, large and small, produced propaganda in the form of radio broadcasts, newspaper articles, graffiti, and, most prominently, pamphlets and flyers. My team would often find propaganda ourselves while out on missions and patrols, and when other units found it, they brought it to us. I had been trained in propaganda analysis, once again, among other things, at the U.S. Army JFK Special Warfare Center and School in Fort Bragg, and used this training to write analytical reports on what we had found, which I then sent up the chain of command. So earlier this week, so what I mean by that is last week, earlier last week, uh, my partner found a small religious pamphlet at the laundromat and brought it to me, and it reminded me of the work that I had done and got me thinking about the role that propaganda plays in religion. The definition I pulled up on Google for propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. Uh, and as I mentioned in one of the notes to this essay, uh, given the fact that uh, the U.S. Army created these information campaigns that informed people that they would be safe if they helped or even fought for the Allied forces instead of the local militias, uh, you know, the local Al-Qaeda branch, the Mani militia, whatever different, there were a lot of them, whatever different ones were operating in that area at that time. Uh, and we didn't. We left. Uh, <laughs> we went to, we just, we left, and... Uh, then they got tortured, killed, or enslaved by ISIS. So, you know, which we then fought back against eventually. Damage has been done. Moving on. So, okay. Information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. Propaganda has been used in warfare and statecraft going back thousands of years at least. The Artha Shastra, a, sh a Sanskrit manual on statecraft written in the 2nd and 3rd centuries uh, before the Common Era, so about uh, 2200, 2300 years ago, uh, includes a lengthy commentary on the use of propaganda. So this has been around for a long time. The pamphlet that my partner had brought me, which I'll be looking at in detail here, definitely qualifies. Uh, propaganda from evangelical sources in the United States is especially prevalent. Many are aware of the famous Chick Tracts, short comics intended to influence readers to become evangelical Christians themselves. They're quite ridiculous and often outright hateful. But I've been able to find no indication that the intention behind them is not entirely sincere. And as well, pictures have been circulating on the internet of printed pieces of paper made to look at first like currency, but which on closer inspection are found to include a religious message. Uh, sometimes they're used as tips that are left at restaurants, and in keeping with that approach, they state that reading the Bible and finding Jesus would be more valuable than money. Though, why anyone would want to think that stiffing someone out of a tip would be a good way of persuading them is beyond me. From here, I'll proceed with an analysis of this particular piece of Christian propaganda using the techniques I used in Iraq, skipping anything I might 
uh, I think might not be interesting or relevant, but which I would have included in a more formal report. And I'll conclude with whatever counterargument I feel is necessary, though I think just an accurate description and analysis of the pamphlet will be subversive enough in itself. Uh, okay, first up, the source of the pamphlet. The source of the pamphlet is clearly given on its front page. The Evangelical Wesleyan Mission in Spartanburg, South Carolina, in the United States. This organization does not appear to have a website, nor are there any specific details about it uh, available online aside from confirmation that it is a real organization and that its address matches the one given in the pamphlet. Some details can be inferred from the name of the organization. Evangelicalism is a Christian fundamentalist movement emphasizing a Christian conversion, a conversion into Christianity, in which one is born again in Jesus Christ. Evangelical Christians comprise the largest religious group in the United States. Uh, this relates to Wesleyan theology, the, so that's the Wesleyan part of their name, and uh, it's, that's an 18th century British theological movement, which was like, which likewise emphasized the new birth in Jesus Christ when one converts to Christianity. Wesleyan theology presently manifests in the Methodist denomination of Christianity. Both evangelical and Methodist Christianity are realist and exclusivist, meaning that they claim that the religious claims of Christianity are true statements about reality as opposed to being metaphorical or otherwise subject to non-literal interpretation, and that Christianity and evangelical or Methodist Christianity in particular holds an exclusive claim to truth, which is not shared by other religions. So it says that um, the claims that it makes, the religious claims that it makes, are all correct and everyone else is wrong. That's exclusivism. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous when you put it like that, but... Uh, I think that's for a good reason. And finally, mission indicates that the organization is intent on outreach and conversion. Authority. Authority is a central factor in the analysis of propaganda. Every piece of propaganda must claim an authority which justifies the veracity of the message. This pamphlet does not rely on the authority of the mission organization itself, and in fact, no other information about the organization is given in the pamphlet, but rather invokes religious authority directly via the Bible. The Bible is used as a source of authority without any explanation of what the Bible actually is or why anyone should believe what it says. This indicates an assumption on the part of the author regarding the audience. The authors believe that those who end up reading this tract know what the Bible is and believe that it has at least some degree of authority over matters. To a degree, I think that this can be safely assumed as something indoctr indoctrinated into Americans in particular, and this fits with the tract's instrumental rationality. The title of the pamphlet is The Middle of the World, and this title is presented above the address of the aforementioned organization, which is followed by 20 short paragraphs of text containing the core message of the pamphlet, an additional two paragraphs summarizing and concluding the message and calling for action, and a picture of a monument in Ecuador, which is mentioned in the tract. The text of the pamphlet begins by describing a location in Ecuador, Medio del Mundo, the middle of the world, which crosses the Earth's equator. The pamphlet describes the location as, quoting here, the spot that moves the least as the Earth wobbles while it rotates and orbits. The veracity of that claim isn't quite so important as its use as a metaphor for understanding what follows. Quoting again, the central point of all revealed truth is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All else revolves around what we are told in that verse. Theologians and their teachings may wobble, wax, and wane, but the wondrous realities so concisely expressed in these 25 words are indeed pivotal. Following from here, that was the end of the quote, following from here are paragraphs describing other religions and ideas in highly disparaging and even racist terms. Specifically mentioned are Hinduism, not by name, though the implication is entirely clear. Buddhism, Confucianism, Islam, Judaism, Paganism, again not by name, Humanism, which is described erroneously as being inclusive of communism, socialism, and materialism, and New Ageism. As an example of the tenor of these paragraphs, take the following, which concerns Hinduism. The world lacks not for gods. It has millions of them. India alone has one for every 100 of its myriad billion. The urine and excrement of animals deemed sacred is groveled in as a means to holiness. Following this section are several paragraphs explicating the Bible verse cited earlier, John 3.16. These match the overall message presented in the first paragraph. The message of this verse is the spiritual middle of the world, and that the God describes should be, quoting again, the should be the object of our most fervent love and devotion, and should galvanize and focus our total energy. The final two paragraphs are a call to action. The paragraph requests that the reader ask Jesus to forgive them of all their sins and to come into their heart and live. And further, to read the Bible daily and to tell others about God's love for the world as revealed in John 3.16. Given the source of this pamphlet, the intended message is clear. Abandon false religion and adopt what is herein claimed to be the one true religion via their established methodology, which involves a petition to Jesus. The specific request for Jesus to come into the petitioner's heart and live is telling of the underlying evangelical message regarding the doctrine of new birth, from which, uh, which derives from John 3.3. 3. In responding to the Pharisee Nicodemus, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And the notes to that passage, uh, in my copy of the Bible, the footnotes, state that from above can also be translated as anew. The overall strategy of the pamphlet is to cast evangelical Christianity in an especially good light by casting other religions in an extremely bad light. No sources are cited regarding any of the claims about the other religions mentioned. They are universally inaccurate and often, as seen above, disgustingly bigoted, but also play into certain religious stereotypes which the authors must have assumed that the audience holds. For example, Islam is, quoting here, Islam is distilled lies and lust. The reward of the faithful is endless lecherous license. This plays into the famous and erroneous notion that Muslims believe that they will be rewarded in heaven with 72 virgins, virgins, ostensibly sex slaves. Some of the paragraphs 
amount to succinct and entirely groundless and invalid theological arguments, but the main objective is to present the underlying religion, the underlying religious notions in such a way as to make their ridiculousness self-evident. The pamphlet and other evangelical Christian propaganda speak to the prevalence of a religiosity that is unequivocally toxic. I was initially impressed with the analogical reasoning used to relate the location in Ecuador to the Bible verse. It seemed like such reasoning might have been the result of some religious experience on the part of the author, and I think it's a sensible comparison. The verse, John 3.16, is indeed a pivotal, pivotal verse in Christian religion, and I could understand how a devout Christian might feel that their entire world revolves around it. But... Analogical reasoning must be explored and justified in order to form an effective and persuasive argument, and indeed the argument isn't even relevant to much of the pamphlet's message, and the subsequent ignorance and bigotry are inexcusable. I try to imagine myself in the place of the tract's intended audience. As stated earlier, no mention is made in the pamphlet of what the Bible is or why it might be considered authoritative. So the presumed audience is those who are familiar with Christianity but on the fence about it, or not aware of its arguments for why Christianity might be considered superior to any other religion. Such a person would likely not have spent much time exploring various religions, and anyone with even a modicum of cultural education would know that the arguments presented against the other religions are dubious at best and bigoted at worst. As well, the pamphlet was disseminated to a laundromat, which tend to be frequented by those in lower income brackets who may lack a more rigorous education, so it seemed most likely that it was intended for an audience with a less than thorough education, especially with regards to religion. To such degree as this pamphlet can be said to represent evangelical Christian religion in general, it's quite telling that the clear intent is to capitalize on ignorance rather than rectify it. And as well, there's a character of ad hominem bullying in the message that I hope most, most audiences would find distasteful and unconvincing. If the best that one can do to support their own position is to paint opposing positions in preposterous terms, then that position comes off as especially weak, insecure, and implausible. I wonder as well whether this degree of exclusivism in religion is even separable from bigotry. After all, if the message of Christianity or whatever religion is indeed so obviously and thoroughly true as is claimed, then those of other faiths must not merely be those who have come to different conclusions on a reasonable basis, as might happen in certain political discussions, or those who might prefer one system of thought to another for personal reasons, but must rather be inherently foolish or ignorant people. While a plurality of people are Christian, they do not constitute a majority, and this very fact is a weakness in Christian exclusivism. If Christianity is indeed the truth, why haven't people converged on it as they have certain scientific and ethical truths? Presuming the exclusive truth of Christianity, the only plausible answer is that there is something wrong with the people themselves. In this light, the message of the tract is no longer at all about the veracity of the claims, but rather becomes something more sinister. Better to be a Christian than some primitive savage. Propaganda is most prominently used in warfare, and so the use of propaganda in religion creates a picture of religion as a battle for beliefs. And in this, and I, I am reminded of the quote attributed to Hiram Johnson. 
the first casualty when war comes is truth. In Orthodox Christian belief, there is indeed a war for souls. Its exclusive nature finds most of the world deluded into beliefs that are not only false, but profoundly dangerous, and that they could condemn one to an eternity of torture and torment. Given this, if the only prerequisite for salvation is a petition to God via the person of Jesus, it would be sensible to make whatever argument at all, regardless of veracity, so long as it might convince someone to sincerely make that petition. This kind of instrumental rationality is sophistry, the strategic use of debate to accomplish some other aim rather than to find the truth of things. What does truth matter if you've saved someone's soul? All right, so that was fun, and I actually did talk a little bit more extemporaneously than I was planning in that, but let's see if I can do that a little bit more. Um, so... This was the interesting thing when I was in the military and I was training to do this thing, uh, propaganda analysis. Um, it just seemed like another, just another, uh, facet of a really complex system of propaganda, which I should definitely explore sometime as a total system of control. Uh, I'm reading Michelle, Michelle Foucault's, uh, discipline and punish right now. And I feel like it kind of relates to that. Um, but once I actually did it, once um, I remember one time I was sitting in the uh, tactical operations center at a base and um, one of my team finds me and says, hey, we just saw some propaganda and what do you think of this? And it's, uh, it's a tract and it's got, uh, the first thing I remember is that there's a symbol on it and the symbol was the earth and in front of the earth an open book and rising out of the open book an AK-47. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> they're not they're not being subtle here. And it was really kind of clear to me what was going on. Um, the place on the globe that the uh, book was pointing to was Jerusalem. The book um, the book itself, you know, this is an Islamic group. It's the Quran. And AK-47 is rising out of the Quran, a symbol of, a symbol of warfare. Um, warfare from the Quran for Jerusalem. That's pretty clear, right? Um, but there were a few, there were a few people I was working for who were really great, amazing soldiers that I'm really proud to have worked with, uh, but just, I guess, did not, I don't know if they didn't have as much experience with, like, uh, symbolism before, but um, immediately I felt like that was something I could do really well, that that was something I really understood. Um, and I so I tried to do it as much as possible. Um, and it was really fascinating to see. It was really fascinating to see this sort of battleground of ideas of all the different militias. Um, 
information control, information control for elections, information control for uh, guerrilla warfare operations, kind of dog whistle propaganda that signaled attacks or whatever uh, that we might be able to use as intelligence. Um, so it was really it was this really complex network of ideas, and it was just really fun to see it play out. I think I'll wrap it up there. Hopefully that's enough material because I'm going to go back through this and hopefully not have to chop it to shreds because I think I did pretty well for one take. I've just got a few small edits. Um, if you're if you're here with me still at this point, thank you so much. Uh, cool. I do have to plug shit. Uh, I might have to edit stuff so I can plug shit, but let me plug shit. So I've got my blog. A Satanist reads the Bible.com. I publish, I like to write and I like to publish my stuff as writing because I like to be part of a tradition of writers and I'm fully aware that blogs are dead. I'm doing it anyway. But if you like that sort of thing, well, you can read the blog. A Satanist reads the Bible.com. New shit every week. Um, if you like what I do, um, this is my first podcast, and I think there's a way that I can monetize this through Anchor, which is the platform that I'm using. Um, so you can plug into that and give me money, which helps me to continue to do this and make it awesome because I can buy more bucks, books and do more research. Uh, I have a Patreon page. It's like two bucks a month, two bucks a month, and that helps me out. One way or another, I'm going to keep doing it uh, with, you know, every single avenue that I can go after. I'm going to keep doing it. So um, if you're, yeah, if you're here with me at this point, thank you so much. Um, more next week.